Welcome to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. This is Huri Kibishian, the first female gymnast to represent the Republic of Armenia at the Olympic Games, where I invented my own skill on the uneven bars named the Kibishian. This podcast is brought to you by NAHT. I was devastated. What's holding you back? Why, why can't you do this? Who's stopping me other than myself? I'm going to make this happen. Hello, and welcome to the Olympic Mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Olympic Mindset Podcast brought to you by NHT, the School Leaders Union. Also, a big thank you to Pearson and to Simple Software. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you for free. Last week's episode with Derek Redmond has received some excellent feedback, and I'd like to take a second to read out something that was sent to us on socials. Adam reached out to us on Facebook and said, Last week's episode with Derek Redmond was amazing, using his mindset to become the best he could in whatever he was doing. I love the idea of never losing. You either win or you learn. Thanks, Adam, for reaching out, and good luck with everything you're doing going forward. This week's episode is Huri Gabashim. She somehow managed to balance working full-time in a hospital, running a small business, and becoming an Olympic athlete. Huri is an inspirational individual that talks to us a little about managing her time. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Oh, actually, I should tell you, my boss's daughter... Um, is in labor. I told her and him that I would go in and deliver her baby. So if for some reason I get called and she, you know, is delivering soon, I will have to end this meeting a little bit short and then we will have to reschedule to, to finish it up, but she's doing fine. She has a little bit of time, but, um, just to let you know, I might have to go to deliver a baby. That's amazing. That pretty much sums up where I want to talk about on the podcast. In fact, I think we should just start because you said that. So perfect. You know what? I'm going to ask you straight away. You're spinning two plates here. You're speaking to me about your career on a podcast that's going to go out nationally and internationally. And you're in the back of your mind worrying about your friend and, and delivering a baby. How do you deal with that? Um, I mean, I am definitely the type of person that likes to have a lot of things on my plate. I'm much more efficient when I have more things to do. Then, you know, if I have nothing to do, I would just sit around and probably watch TV all day. So, so I like having multiple things on my plate. I like being able to organize my time and manage my time effectively. That, that makes me feel excited and accomplished. So I, I've always been like that. Growing up in sport, I mean, you know, you have to go to school, you have to go to practice, you have to do your homework, you have to get your nutrition in. You're kind of always on a schedule to juggle a bunch of things. And I've taken, you know, all of those same skills that I learned in my childhood and now taking it into my adulthood, trying to balance my social life along with my job and the fun things I like to do. Again, reflecting on the kind of the attitude and in the short time we've been talking and the way you've delivered something that could be potentially quite stressful. You've delivered it in such a kind of 
I don't, I don't know the right word to, to use really flippant way. <laughs> you know, you've, you've really kind of dismissed the importance of what you're talking about. I guess what I'm getting at is, are you affected by stress easily and how do you overcome that? Um, I, I honestly think that stress is what drives you. So, you know, you, you have to be uncomfortable. You have to be stressed and you have to create some type of changes in order to improve and to get better and to, to push yourself. Um, cause if you're comfortable and living day by day and, and not pushing those limits, then I, I mean, me personally, I don't think you can kind of get anywhere. So, so I like to push the limits. I, I wouldn't say I love being stressed, but I do like having that challenge in order to push myself to reach the limits, to push those limits and to be the best version of myself. So I, I do try and be as positive as I can, but I think I thrive under, under the stress of having those things to accomplish. That's amazing. I, I love that mentality. And again, this is the kind of mindset we're talking about. So essentially the title, as you know, of the podcast is the Olympic mindset. What we're trying to do is tap into elements of what has allowed you to achieve what you've achieved and work out how we can map that against somebody in an everyday job or even in their life. So the first thing I want to talk to you about is related to what you've just said, which is time, time management. You run a small business? I do. Um, it's called Full Out Collegiate Recruiting. We um, guide student athletes with the college recruiting process, create a plan for them, um, help them along the way. And hopefully through the the process of learning how to communicate with coaches and adults and all sorts of people out in the world, they they learn those communications skills, not only in the sport that they're doing, but in their future and beyond. And you deliver children? I do. My full-time job is uh, working as a physician assistant. Um, I work on labor and delivery, helping deliver babies predominantly in the operating room. And you made it to the Olympic. I, I did. It's, it's crazy to think it was six years ago, but I did. I accomplished it. How did you find the time? Um, I mean, yes, we only have 24 hours in the day, but honestly, I, I planned out the entire two year span of when I needed to work, when I needed to train, when I need, you know, needed to do all of the things that I needed to do in order to make that dream a reality. And so I took that two years, I made a very detailed plan down to what was I going to eat? How was I going to train? What routines was I going to do? When was I going to work? When did I have to take time off of work so I could go to competition? Every, all the little nuances, um, I, I wrote down in a plan and I'm the type of person that likes to cross things off and check them off the list. And every day I'd go back and kind of reflect on how did this day go? Do I need to improve something for the next day so that I could keep marching towards this, this big goal? But first I got to make the little goals happen in order to get there. So we spoke earlier about decluttering before we started recording this podcast. So decluttering or, or three stages of decluttering that I like to use are if something benefits you personally, if something benefits you professionally, or if something makes you happy, because we all need fun and we need to enjoy our lives. So is that kind of the formula you use when you're trying to work out the pathway towards a goal? Because I assume despite being extremely busy, you still need to have a healthy social life and time for yourself. Yeah, um, I... Honestly, I think the thing that I lacked the most of those three when I was making that big push to the Olympics was probably the listening to myself and making myself happy. Because um, we all know how important mental health is, especially with COVID and the pandemic and, and everything. Um, it's just become such a an important thing that I think everybody kind of put to the side. And me personally, I definitely did. Now, reflecting back, 
I 100% agree. I think that you can't be the best person version of yourself in your personal goals and your professional goals if you don't take care of yourself. I think that that balance is is super important, and I like to ho- hopefully do that now in my current state of life. I've recently spoken to Derek Redmond. So Derek Redmond is a very famous 400 meter runner, won the world championships, and he's also famous because his hamstring snapped and his dad came onto the track to help him cross the line. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen that video. Yes. Derek was talking to me a lot about being selfish in order to be selfless. So in other words, you need to sort yourself out first. You need to put your own gas mask on before you can help others. Is that kind of the attitude you take towards life as well? Where do you stand? 100%. A lot of my Olympic journey, I think I got caught up in the story and the social media and getting people to recognize that I was doing something big for our country and like trying to get that recognition, trying to get that funding, you know, all of these things. And at the end of the day, trying to please everybody along the way, whether it was the fans, whether it was my family, whether it was, you know, whoever needed to do an interview or or whatever um, to, to get the word out there. And I definitely think that I didn't take that you know, second to just say, wait a minute, <laughs> do I need to be doing all of this stuff? Cause it's draining and I can't be the best version of myself if I don't take a step back and take a breath and, you know, refocus on what my goals are and what I want to accomplish. I'm, I'm happy to do all of these things, but nobody's going to be excited if I don't accomplish the things that I want to do in the first place. So let me take a step back. Let me do those things and then kind of move forward with everything else that goes along with the quote unquote stardom, which I wouldn't say I even had. (laughs) The fact that you've managed to have the maturity and the kind of um, ability to look at yourself and recognize that you were being dragged down a path that was probably more vanity driven or ego driven. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, this is something that I'm really interested in because particularly when I was a younger leader, I often you know, I can, I can say it now, but I got dragged into that kind of wanting to look good, wanting to impress others. I guess what my next question for you is, how do you manage your ego? And have you ever worked with a sports psychologist on this? And um, I, so I, I never worked with a sports psychologist specifically on this topic of, you know, ego and, and that type of thing. I did work with a sports psychologist growing up. Um, I was really fortunate to have one in my gym um, who mentored me just personally as a human, as well as an athlete. And he was a fundamental person in just my development as a human. And I think the the biggest lessons I learned from him was, I mean, going right back to your original question is you got to take care of yourself in order to be successful. Um, yes, you want to, you know, please others. Yes, you want these other things that come in. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to do what makes you happy. And when you make yourself happy and you do the things that you love, for me, it was gymnastics. Um, and that was kind of my escape. And that was, you know, my safe haven. He was like, everything else will fall into place. And that's kind of how I approached really everything in my life. Gymnastics has always been a safe haven. It still is a safe haven for me, even though I'm not doing it anymore. I I love watching it. I love being a part of the community. I love my small business that involves gymnastics. and, And that's what gives me comfort and reassures me that I'm moving in the right direction and, and, you know, filling that bucket of joy. I like that. I like that expression. Some of the development you've gone through as with your sports psychologist wasn't necessarily to do with your sport. It was you as a person. How did you manage to kind of take that mindset and those skills and transition them across into your career? 
Um, I mean, I think the, the key characteristics you get from any sport is discipline, dedication, perseverance, all of those things that can translate into anything that you do, whether it is, you know, being disciplined to clean your house or being disciplined to do a great job at your job and deliver a healthy baby, you know, <laughs> whatever it, it is out there. Um, but I, I think those core qualities, um, that I learned personally, and I think anybody learns through, through sport or just any type of passion, um, can definitely translate. I can't necessarily say how, because I think it's just ingrained in you. And, and that's why I think it's so, so important for, you know, young people out there to find something that they love, whether it is sports, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether, you know, whatever it is so that they can find that passion, they can find that drive, they, they can find something that they're dedicated to. So they know what that feels like. And then they can translate that to a new passion, a career or, or whatever that is in their adult life. I find it interesting that you say young when actually you're still doing it. And also, sorry to say this, but you were regarded as an older athlete at 27 in gymnastics. That's quite old to get there for the first time. So would you say that you constantly revisit this? I think so. I, I think it's um, easier to say like, you know, when you're young, you have an open field to do whatever it is. And, you know, we can mold people into having these ideals and, and, you know, figure out what, what's the best path to go. But Absolutely. Everybody can challenge themselves. Everybody can change. Everybody can have a different mindset. Um, I definitely think it's more challenging when you get older and you're, you're committed to what you like and what you do um, to kind of step outside of the, the comfort zone. Um, but yes, I mean, I, 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 like we started this big, the beginning of this meeting. Um, I love to challenge myself. I love to be uncomfortable. I think you have to be uncomfortable. I think you have to be stressed in order to improve and in order to change. So that is a fundamental thing that everybody should should do and not be afraid of. Listening to you there talking about pushing yourself, being stressed, going out of your comfort zone. I will compliment you on this. You do practice what you preach. And I'm coming across now to the innovation of creating your own gymnastics move. So just before you tell us about this, I do want to kind of say how much I admire the fact you did this. It was the first time you'd reached the Olympics. There was a lot of pressure on you anyways, the first female Armenian gymnast. So to go and create your own move and, and then to kind of unveil it on such a stage is, for me, is very, very brave, but possibly very risky. I mean, what was the thought process behind that? Why didn't you just play it safe and go for the points? Uh, well, so uh, there's a lot to that story too, that makes it even more risky than just like trying a new move for the first time at the Olympic games. Um, so it was a brand new skill that I had never competed before. It was my very first skill that I was doing on the very first event when I got to the Olympic games. So I was nervous about nervous, just in general to be there, let alone doing something brand new. In gymnastics, if you are doing a mount, um, so like the, the skill to get onto an apparatus, you can only attempt it that one time. You can't just redo it over again. And so for me, if I messed up that skill, I wouldn't be able to redo it and, you know, try again and have it named after me. So luckily it all kind of like canned out and, and, uh, I, I made it, I got the skill named after myself and the rest of the, I kind of could like breathe and just enjoy the rest of the games. Um, but why did I do that? I mean, it, also multifactorial. I, I wanted to 
one, get Arme- you know, Armenian women's gymnastics kind of on the map. I wanted people to know like who we were, um, not just as a gymnast, but as a culture, as a, a people, a country, you know, who we are, what do we do? What are our strengths? And so the best way to do that in gymnastics is one win, <laughs> which was a little bit out of my, my, my reach, but two, create a skill because now and anybody that does my skill, the name will pop up. People will look back and say, oh, that was an Armenian gymnast that did that. And hopefully kind of that, that perpetuates the, oh, Armenia, where is it? Who is that? You know, what are they all about? And so that, that was the kind of drive to invent that skill. So would you say legacy, having a legacy and instilling your own stamp on the Olympics was probably more important than the win at that time? I I mean, definitely. I I don't think my personal legacy, you know, at the end of the day, I think it was just the legacy of Armenia and Armenian women's gymnastics. Um, Because through all of it, I, I was, yes, doing it for myself, but I wanted to I wanted this journey to be more than just me. I wanted it to be more than just, you know, my, my dream of making it to the Olympics. I wanted it to be everybody's dream, whether you were Armenian or not. Like I, I wanted you to come with, on this journey with me and, and experience it. And um, I feel like being able to bring people along and invent that skill and be as hopefully personable as I was, people felt like they were there and people can hopefully remember and, and, I don't know. Hopefully that legacy is there and people do the skill and the name pops up over and over again. For me, joining NAHT was about finding people that I could speak to, like-minded people. So it's more about building a, a, a support network because in our role as head teachers, it's often quite a lonely place to be within our schools we're often the person that everybody comes to but very often we have nowhere to go you know if if we've got a problem or a concern or a worry it's difficult for us to go to our staff with that because we're often seen as that person that needs to be in control and knows what's going on and you want to project yourself as that person that's uh, understands and can cope with all of that but I found NHT just that place that I can go to if I've got a problem or a a query or I'm not sure about something there's always been somebody there that I can I can ask and you know they understand what that's like. NAHT is here to defend and promote the rights of all school leaders so together we can create a better education system for educationalists and learners alike. For more information email us at joinus at naht.org.uk or call us on 0300 30 30 333. There's not many people that, I guess, set out to historically change something and actually go about doing it. You can have people that are afraid of failure or have a fear of failure. And then there are people that have this need to achieve. Obviously, you fall more into the uh, need to achieve category, would you say? I think so. And I think you have to fail in order to achieve. You know, you, you can't succeed without failure. There's absolutely no way. So you can't be afraid of, of messing up. You can't be afraid of failing. I do want to touch on this. There, there has been some failure because we've spoken about all your success so far. And, and that failure was the fact that you never quite made it to the 2012 Olympics. Correct. correct. And, then you, and then you stopped competing for a while. So talk us through that. What happened? How did you come back from that failure? Um, it was devastating, to say the least. Um, I was I was in college at the time. I had just graduated and 
the thought of competing, representing Armenia, kind of doing this, this crazy thing. Um, you know, I honestly, I, I thought it was a stretch and, but you know, I like the challenge and I, I like to see what I can do. Um, so I, I had wonderful coaches, my college coaches trained with me, um, got me ready. And unfortunately I had an injury, you know, a couple, it was a little over a month before the world championships, which qualifies you to the Olympics. And I just wasn't able to compete up to the level that I wanted to. And I was devastated. I, you know, cause I, I, I really believed that I could do this. I, you know, did everything that I needed to, you know, I trained, I, I just did thought I was, I 100% thought I was going to make it. And then I got injured and I was like, that's, mm, it's never going to happen for me. Um, so, and I didn't qualify. I ended up being an alternate and, you know, even if somebody got hurt, who was going to drop out of the Olympic games. So, so I was like, there goes my Olympic dream. Um, and I, I quit gymnastics, never thinking that I was ever going to come back to it. I didn't want anything to do with the sport. I, you know, was, was over it. Um, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to take all this passion and put it into medicine. So I went to uh, physician assistant school, graduate school. Um, and then through my medical training, I um, met a man who had a very similar story to me. He got injured playing the sport that he played in college and never really, you know, finished his career the way that he wanted to. And then we kind of just chatted back and forth. And he was like, you know, he was in the process of becoming a doctor and just had like closed that chapter in his life. And I just hadn't really closed that chapter. It was still raw. I, I was still sad and mad. And, you know, I had all these emotions and he honestly was like, what's holding you back? Why, why can't you do this? You know, I was like, well, I'm old. I, you know, I'm out of shape. I haven't done gymnastics in two years. I don't even have a gym. You know, I had every excuse in the book. Um, and after, you know, kind of putting out those excuses, I realized like, these are silly excuses. Like I can find a gym. I can train myself. I can get into shape. I can figure it out. Like who's stopping me other than myself. And so I ended up graduating, um, PA school. Um, I obviously was in a whole bunch of student loan debt. So I was like, you know what? I probably need to find a job first before I dive into this endeavor. Um, so I found a, a job, a wonderful job that I still have right, right now. I went into my interview and I told my current boss, um, in the interview, I said, you know what, if you're going to hire me, I want to let you know that I'm going to be training for the Olympic games. And in two years from now, I'm going to go to the Olympic games and I'm going to be taking about a month off in, you know, July and August of 2016. So I could compete at the games. And I don't know if he believed me, but I think he liked that, you know, passion and that you know, just drive that I had. He called me, you know, that was on a Friday. He called me on Monday and he was like, Hey, you have the job. Great. So I checked that box off. Um, I started working as a, as a physician assistant. I found a gym. I, like we talked about before, I made a two year plan. I stuck to that plan and I ended up at the games, but it was definitely like a, I never want to do this ever again to, huh, maybe I could do this To I'm going to make this happen. Purple Mash is the complete online solution for primary curriculum content and tools. It's packed full of literally thousands of customizable cross-curricular resources covering English, 
maths, science, geography, history, art, DT, music, and so much more. Educators can fully engage with outcomes from their learners with functionality to set work, make judgments, and collate data on performance. A dedicated teacher's area provides planning support, curriculum maps, subject leader toolkits, and access to a wealth of professional development, including a fully accredited CPD session, webinars, and one-to-one meetings, all as part of your subscription. To learn how Purple Mash can benefit your school, visit twosimple.com forward slash Olympic Mindset. It's too simple. I love what you just said, and it reminds me of one of my favourite quotes. I've actually got it on the wall behind here, and it's, uh, it's by Benjamin Franklin. Don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. What you said just reminded me of that when you said all of these excuses, all of the all of these things you kept saying were reasons why you couldn't go back and pursue your dreams. I do appreciate that lots of people do have things outside of their control, and that can be really difficult. Ultimately, you took quite a few variables there, and you did bring them back within your control. What would you say your mindset is when you approach something where you have that kind of sense of doubt or that sense of uncertainty? The biggest thing that causes doubt and uncertainty is just the unknown, right? How is this going to work out? What is it going to look like? What are the steps that I need to take? All of the unknown and the questions, that's what's scary. And so for me, I think reflecting on what am I afraid of? What are the what are the obstacles that I'm I need to overcome in order to to make this happen? Kind of breaking those down in order to really get to the core of what that doubt is helps me figure out, okay, like, is this a legit reason for me to be afraid? Or am I just being afraid because I don't know what the outcome is going to be? Again, I'm I'm one to take risks, I'm one to challenge myself, because at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. It's better that you tried and failed than not try at all. I think that's a quote or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably. If not, we can credit it to you. So another thing I quite liked as well, going back to what we were talking about earlier, was responsibility that you were willing to hold on your shoulders. So you touched on the fact earlier that you weren't just doing it for yourself. You were doing it for your country. You know, you were the first ever female Armenian gymnast to to go to the Olympics. You had all of this kind of fanfare. You had a whole country behind you, really, as well as your fans, your family, your own aspirations. How did you manage that responsibility and how did you stop it from overwhelming you? I would say that it did overwhelm me. I, I was born and raised in the United States. My family is Armenian. I have, you know, Armenian heritage. I had Armenian culture. Um, but I am, I'm an Armenian citizen, but I didn't grow up there. I don't speak Armenian to my friends at work. You know, I, I, I don't have that culture in my day-to-day life. So a lot of my fears were people of the Ar- Armenian descent or Armenian culture saying, is she really Armenian? Is she legitimate representation of who we are and, and what we represent? My biggest fear was not living up to that expectation. I I didn't necessarily feel like I deserved this honor. And so being able to kind of break down that self-doubt and that fear um, was probably the most challenging part. And I would say that that it did it 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 was a struggle. It did take a lot from me to say, you know what, I, I do deserve this. I've worked really hard for this. I do come from an Armenian family. I have this culture. I don't necessarily have to have been born and raised in this country to say that I'm Armenian and to say that I'm, I'm doing this for our country. Um, 
And so I'm not sure if I answered the question, but <laughs> you did. You got you in fact raised another question for me. Oh. So there, there are several studies, but the study I, I'm referring to says that around about 75% of highly successful individuals, particularly women, struggle with imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome can take the form of thinking you're not worthy, you don't deserve the opportunity, maybe you were lucky to get the opportunity, and then maybe this sense of self-doubt. It does sound a little like you were suffering from imposter syndrome there. Were there any strategies you used or did you manage to overcome it on your own, with friends? What, what was the kind of journey you went through to overcome all of those kind of things you've just expressed? I pretty much coached myself the the entire two years kind of coming back to gymnastics. But my mentor was actually um, my college coach from years previous. Um, he was my confidant. Um, I would do, you know, some training sessions with him. We do things called pressure sets where, you know, you're salute to the quote unquote judge or the person that's watching and you have to hit, you know, you have to hit your routine. We would do those types of things, just kind of mock situations. And I vividly remember it was maybe like a month before the Olympic Games. And I had already qualified to the Olympics. And I called him and I broke down and I was like, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. Like there are so many people out there that are better than me, that should be there instead of me, you know, whether it's other gymnasts, whether that's other Armenians, like whoever else. I was like, the, I don't even know why I'm going here. Like I'm going to be an embarrassment to myself. And he was like, you know what? You're, you are psyching yourself out. Come to Denver. We'll, you know, do a little training camp, confirm to yourself that you're ready to, to do this. And then, you know, you can go in your separate way. Um, and I think, so I did, I went, um, I, you know, hit all my routines. I, you know, just, I don't know why I, I needed that, but he was the person to kind of talk me out of the crazy that I was thinking. Because yes, my my skill level wasn't necessarily the highest of the high. I, I didn't get the gold medal, but I earned my way there. I, I worked really hard. I qualified. I, I took all the steps that every other athlete took to get there. Um, and so it was invaluable to have his opinion um, and just to have somebody supporting me. Because yes, it was I did a lot of it on my own, but it was a lonely journey. And sometimes you do need, I mean, all the time you need help. You can't just do everything on your own 100%. So I was really thankful to have him as a, a good guide and a good mentor for me. I think, again, trying to unpick some of the Olympic mindset and translate it to, to other settings. Devin Harris spoke a lot about, Devin Harris, the former captain of the Jamaican bobsled team, inspiration behind the film Cool Runnings. Um, Devin spoke a lot about marching to the beat of his own drum. And he actually said how lonely a journey it can be sometimes to, to kind of take accountability for your own decisions and lead the life that you want, because quite often people won't come with you or don't come with you you spend a lot of your time trying to convince others as well as yourself that you can do what you want to do. And a really nice saying I quite often share and I use with myself and I've used with my brother and other friends is if you want to be the man, you can't be one of the boys. I believe that you can't fall into the crowd and do things that other people do if you want to succeed and achieve something different. So that comes really nicely around to self-development. I'm a firm believer in becoming a lifelong learner. So for you to step away from your Olympic dream, and retrain and do something different was self-development something that was always important to you or did it just plug the gap of your kind of competitiveness and your sporting dream honestly growing up um and you know going through sport going through school things like that I was a very much 
I'm going to try my best and whatever happens, happens. Um, and I, I, I mean, I think I still have a little bit of that mindset, but with the like specific goal of competing at the Olympic games, I, I shocked myself on the value of having that, you know, concrete, I want to work towards this and I'm going to set these goals up in order to, to achieve that, that dream. Yes. Sometimes it's nice to just say, you know what, however life works out, it's going to work out. I think it's important to have a little bit of that in your life, but I also think it's important to, you know, have kind of that structure. Um, and so for me, reflecting back on you know, you do keep saying I'm, I'm not that old, but I, you know, have 32 years of life under my belt. Um, and I feel like I've, I've lived, you know, all sorts of different things. I, I have young me, I have high school me, I have college me, I have failure me, I have hopefully success me, um, you know, all sorts of things. And I think it's so important to go back and, and look at what went well in those points in your life and what didn't. And why did it go well? Why didn't it go well? And then reflect on, do I want to improve or do I want to leave that behind and revamp, sorry, excuse me, revamp, start over, you know, whatever. And you're, you're never going to be able to do that unless you do self-reflect. And then, like you said, be a lifelong learner. Um, I mean, in my career, personally, as, as a medical provider, we have to constantly be learning um, whatever is new in the world. And I think that could be translated to, to everything, personal growth, professional growth, um, kind of whatever you, you think is important in your life. So the challenges you face in your day-to-day job, your full-time job, I mean, how do you deal with some of the things that you must, you know, there's obviously some as much as working on a maternity ward is a wonderful thing, you obviously have to deal with some terrible things sometimes. How do you kind of overcome that? Is there any strategies that you use um, that may be, you know, transferable elsewhere? Yeah, um, I, so you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, 95% of the time, it's a happy place. You know, it's a birthday every day when I go into work, but we do have losses, um, whether that's moms or whether that's babies. Um, you know, we have patients that, severely hemorrhage and bleed that we have to think really quickly and, you know, figure out how, how are we going to save this person's life? You know, there's, there's so many nuances to, to my job when, you know, you don't even think about, it's like, Oh, it's childbirth. It, it happens naturally. Well, there's a lot more to childbirth than just uh, you have a baby. Um, and so I think the, the things that I've learned through my job um, personally are, those valuable lessons of being able to think quickly to, um, you know, work as a member of a team. Yes. My sport was very, you know, independent, um, especially in my personal Olympic journey was very independent, but now in my career and my job, like I, I have to work with other doctors, nurses, um, you know, anesthetists, everybody on this team to, to, give the best possible care to the women that I treat and their babies. Um, and so I think the mindset of knowing that you aren't alone, no matter where you're at and knowing that, you know, teamwork is important and, and value that asking for help and getting help is the best way to succeed in whatever it is that you're doing. I think those, those 
values I've learned um, in my professional career um, doing what I do. So obviously the title of the, the podcast is the Olympic mindset. Would you say if you could try and narrow it down to kind of three traits, you, you kind of did this earlier, but I'd, I'd like to have a really good think about it because it's not just necessarily sport. Remember, we're trying to relate the success you've had in, in those different aspects of your life to, you know, what somebody else could apply in their day to day. So what would you say would be an Olympic mindset for somebody on a day to day? Hmm. I think uh, one definite Olympic mindset is, um, I guess, you know, goal setting. Um, anybody can set a goal um, and achieve that goal, no matter, you know, if it's big or small. Um, you know, nobody's going to reach the Olympics or ha- have an Olympic mindset without having that goal of making it to the Olympics and having that plan to, to get there. And I think that, I mean, is the fundamental um, characteristic that anybody has to have that can, like I said, be transitioned to anywhere in your life um, to be successful and, and have that positive mindset. Um, other characteristics, this is a hard question. I don't know. What, what, what makes an Olympian? What's the mindset? Because, um, you know, you, when you think of sport, it's the perseverance, it's the dedication, it's, it's all of that. Um, that 100% translates to everything else, um, in, in the world. Um, but I think goal setting is a big one. I think, um, you know, teamwork, asking for help, um, is a huge one. Knowing your own limits is a huge one. Um, you know, knowing when to ask help, knowing when to push yourself, um, you know, that self-reflection and of knowing your limits, um, is, is super valuable. And I think can help you in whatever setting that you're in, in order to, to have that mindset to be successful. You've given us more than three, so I will cut yeah. in. <laughs> okay. that was great. That was... I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that was really good. The reason I want to cut in is because what you've said about knowing your own limits there kind of, can you elaborate on that point? What do you mean by knowing your own limits? Oh, um, I think Are you it's... talking about those people that were going American Idol in the first round and think they're good and they're terrible. Is that what you're talking about? No, I think you should. I think even <laughs> if you think you're good, you should go out there. And, you know, sometimes you need somebody to say, oh, you're terrible um, to kind of like reset and be like, OK, well, was that goal the appropriate goal? Sometimes you need that. Um, and sometimes you don't have that self-reflection to be able to say, here is my limit. Um, but I think, I mean, I, uh, honestly, I, I think that that's what it is, um, knowing, you know, what is your goal? What is, what is your limit? And if you don't know what your limit is, ask, ask, you know, put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there because at the end of the day, sure. Maybe somebody will talk about you or maybe somebody will laugh, but who cares if you're happy and if you're doing what makes you happy and you yourself are succeeding in what you're doing, then then do it. Because um, at the end of the day, all that matters is if you're happy. At Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. 
In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they had to say on the topics that matter. From the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. I'm really interested to hear how you've transitioned from being a self-centred individual pushing towards your own dreams with everyone else supporting you to suddenly you're in a team. You have to be a leader within that team. Did you adjust? I honestly, this is something that I constantly have to work on um, in my job. Um, I've, I am potentially going to be um, applying for a management position um, and a lead- leadership position in, in my job. However, a really hard thing for me to do is to step out of I, me personally, I need to do this. This is my goal. This is how things are going to be done. And everybody else must do it this way, you know, because that's, that's how I, you know, did my sport. And that's how I've been successful in my life. But when you take yourself out of that very self-centered sport mentality, very self-centered, you know, I'm going to go to PA school. I'm going to become a physician assistant. I'm going to be really good at my job, you know, all those things and think about, okay, well now I have to lead everybody else on this team in order for them to be really good at their jobs and to provide the care that they need. And, you know, all of these things, that's really challenging for me. It's, it's, hard for me to, to think about other people's, um, like mentalities and thoughts of, of their successes. Cause my success is here's a goal. You're going to accomplish it. Um, somebody else's success may be completely different. You know, I'm going to do a, B and C, and then maybe X and maybe Y and maybe Q, and then I'll be successful. And you know, who knows what it's going to be having that type of leadership mindset is really challenging coming from an independent sport and something that I am constantly working on. I take courses to like leadership courses. Um, You know, I I always try and have some type of self-reflection with my current boss on how can I do this? How can I improve? You know, I want people to feel welcomed when I have such a very rigid um, way of doing things. You know, you need to be flexible within the parameters of what you want people to achieve if you're going to step into a management position. But equally, we need this vision, this overarching goal for everybody to work towards because you're absolutely right, by the way. Um, it becomes so difficult, particularly if you've had quite a linear path to success. So the first thing I would say to you, take less than your share of the credit and more than your share of the blame because you will naturally be drawn to take centre stage. But I can assure you it's much, much better in the long term to step back and push others to do it. Better for them and better for you. That is phenomenal, phenomenal advice. I will absolutely... Tuck it in my brain, use all of those things moving forward. Hopefully, if I get this this management position. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, actually. And, you know, I wish you luck. Well, thank you. It has been a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate it. I've loved this conversation. I'm going to, I'm probably going to listen to it and, you know, get the motivation I need. If it's a better time of day and your daughter wants to hop on and say hello, I would love to say hello to her. I'm going to get her in the garden practicing the gabashia. (laughs) Yes, yes. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by NAHT, the School Leaders Union. 
Don't forget to hang around and listen to our Charity of the Week. It's a short segment at the end of this podcast that explores amazing charities doing sensational work across our country and wider. Thank you for joining us today and see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Olympic Mindset Podcast. As you know, at the end of every episode, we offer a platform to a charity doing amazing work. And this week we have Rob Young, MBE. Rob is the Chief Executive of the Switch the Play Foundation. Rob, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. Really, thank you very much for inviting us on. Great, and, and obviously, you know, you are doing wonderful work at Switch the Play Foundation. So would you like to tell us a little about what you're doing? Yeah, very happy to. Um, we are the UK's only charity that exists to help uh, all sports people to help fulfil their potential through and beyond sport. Um, we exist because um, the transition that sports people make uh, beyond their sporting careers is one that is very challenging. Uh, lots of sports people have mental health challenges, financial problems, struggle with a loss of identity. And ultimately, we exist to help them through that that challenging time to to help find a path to what they do in their life beyond sport. Talk us through the practicalities. How does that look, the actual support that you give? Yeah, so, so we'll work at, um, do a lot of life skills support with, with younger athletes in particular. Because the reality is, is that if you look at football in particular, 97% of people that are in a, an academy at 16 won't play a Premier League first game, first team game by the age of 21. So, so there's a real high attrition rate of people that have talent that don't quite make it. And actually, that's a really difficult thing for them to be able to then adjust to what next. You've then got, um, I guess, the misnomer about people in terms of how much money they earn in terms of that transition. Well, um, more than 60% of the top female sports people in this country earn less than £10,000 a year through doing their sport. So not, you know, not everyone is set for life financially. And then you've got the challenge around the fact of when your sporting career ends, because for 71% of athletes, it's not on their terms. It's through deselection, end of contract, injury. And all of those things together mean that there is a bumpy landing for people. So we provide life skills support. We provide coaching, mentoring. We help people to explore the different career pathways and help find a journey for them and how to then follow that path to what that looks like. I spoke to an athlete um, last week who had helped about 18 months or so ago and she hasn't told her story publicly and, and, and she wants us to work with her to tell her story. And she'd just been deselected and had a really bad experience leaving her sport. Uh, and I just said, look, tell me honestly how what, what what was what was the help what what value did we provide and she said what was important for her is the fact that she could speak to somebody who empathized with her situation that was there to support her and there to listen and she said as an athlete you're not very good at asking for help sometimes or feeling that you admit to needing that help and she said just by our approach of being there we encouraged her to actually be able to then seek more help from other people as well and was a really important to know at that stage in her life, there was someone that was there for her. And do you know what? That was really, it was really nice to be able to hear that because sometimes you don't get that feedback is that when someone was in a dark place, to know that we were actually able to provide a bit of support and help give them a, a, a path towards a more positive future, um, that's ultimately why we exist. And we, um, we talk a lot about the change curves. So that's one of the constructs that we talk through. So uh, Kubler-Ross change curves have been used in grief and addiction counselling. And, and we've talked through that change curve with sports people and they've literally gone, how did you know my story? Because they've just literally, you, like you've just described those stages. 
And for us, it's about it's it's the shallowing of the bottom of the curve is our job, and that's a prevention strategy so that you're giving the people the tools and the support that ultimately helps them find that integration point. Absolutely. Rob, if anyone wants to get in touch with you to seek support, how can they do that? Yeah, so our website is uh, switchtheplay.com. You can find us on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. And yeah, we're, we're, we're here to help any sports person. So please reach out. Brilliant. Rob, thank you so much for your time. It's really good to talk to you about the Kubler-Ross Grief Cycle as well. A pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheers. See you soon, mate. Thank you.